Our scripture reading today is uh, from the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. Stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your, disi- look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was said by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant who I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in the name of the Gentiles will hope. Thank you, Mike. It's one of my favorites too, Wayne. Thank you for that song. I love that song. That was so good, we almost don't need a sermon. Well, praise the Lord, I've got one then. <laughs> Turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. We've been walking through the book of Proverbs, and here we come to the end of the introduction to the book. We've been in Proverbs for several months now, and here we are at the end of the introduction. I love it. Proverbs chapter 9, let's read it together, and we'll, we'll jump in. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. 
Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And, him who lacks, and to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the book of Proverbs. I know at least for myself, you have shown a light on so many dark areas of my soul, so many dark places of my heart. And Lord, you have shown me what it's like to walk in wisdom. God, I pray that today we would make the choice that you bring before us today to walk in wisdom or to follow folly. Pray you would make this message clear, Lord, take me out of the way. Lord, may you be glorified in the message today. May your gospel be clear, may your scriptures be clear. In your name, amen. The book of Proverbs is an extremely practical book. Uh, in many ways, the book of Proverbs shows us uh, a real life of, of an example of how to be obedient to the law. Because it's so practical, we love this book, right? Um, and we love, to we love this book and we love to listen to its teaching, but also because it's so practical, we also tend to just assume that the teachings of this book are merely good suggestions, uh, not necessarily moral obligations. Wisdom, as we often think, is the difference between experience and inexperience, between good and less good decisions. But that's not how the book of Proverbs presents itself. The first nine chapters form one long introduction explaining to us how to read and approach the book. We have seen that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as it says in chapter one and throughout those nine chapters. That if one wants to be wise, the very beginning of being truly wise is not experience, it's not age, but rather it's a personal relationship with wisdom. The father in the text uh, repeatedly calls his son to marry wisdom, to have a relationship with wisdom and to marry her. Further, wisdom is shown to be much more than just life, the life experience of the wise father, but in fact the very wisdom of God the father. A couple weeks ago we saw in no uncertain terms that wisdom is in fact Jesus Christ. So if one wants to be wise, they must be in a relationship with Jesus. So what does that mean? It means 
that being wise is not merely suggestions, but is ultimately a worship decision. Whether or not you are wise in the eyes of the book of Proverbs reveals how or who you worship. Obedience to the Proverbs shows that you are worshiping Jesus. Disobedience to the Proverbs reveals that you are foolish, that you are living in sin, that you are worshiping Satan. If your life reveals a category in which some type of lying is an acceptable practice, then you have a problem with Jesus. Something is wrong with your worship life. If your life reveals that you have a consistent problem with your relationship with your spouse, then you have a problem with Jesus. Something is wrong with your worship life. If you cannot seem to get control of your finances, then you have a problem with Jesus. If you have unruly children, then you have a problem with Jesus. If you cannot control your temper and you consistently say things that you regret, then you have a problem with Jesus. If you're consumed by laziness, ultimately you have a problem with Jesus. And the list goes on and on throughout the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs gives one last call here to make this worship decision. Who will you worship? Wisdom and folly both give one final invitation, as we'll see. They both come to the high places, the worship places of the city, and they say, come and worship here. And we have a decision. Which of these two high places will we go to? That's why I've called the message the two towers, that and because I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd. So... There's two high places, these two worship locations. The book of Proverbs, wisdom and folly are calling us to one or the, one or the other. So who will you follow? Will you follow wisdom, that is Jesus, and receive life? Or will you follow folly, that is Satan, and run straight to your own death? How you choose will not only impact the way you approach the rest of the book of Proverbs, which it will, but it will also determine your eternal destination. So first we see in this chapter that we must accept the invitation of wisdom. Let's look back at verses one through six and, and, and reread re, re those and, and, and jump back into and walk through what this passage is talking about. It says your wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom has left the streets of chapter eight and has now moved to the highest places of the city to invite us to a banquet. Wisdom has prepared an elaborate banquet indeed. Showing no laziness, she has built her house, a solid and secure structure. She has also prepared a fancy meal. It says that she's slaughtered her beast. Filet mignon is on the menu, guys. We're having steaks at this banquet. She's also prepared the wine. She does not offer a second-rate meal, but rather she offers a high-quality, expensive feast. Only the best for her guests. 
We will see later that this is a complete contrast to the banquet that is prepared by folly. Essentially what we see here is woman wisdom is, is described as like this elegant uh, woman of high class inviting, having this huge meal and inviting them over. I think of, we've been watching the Great British Baking Show on Netflix, and I think of Mary Berry when I read this. I'm just like, she's, she's going to prepare this elaborate meal, and it's going to be amazing, whatever it is. Um, that's, that, that this is kind of what we have here. Uh, so we, so we, uh, wisdom is preparing this meal. But wisdom has not only prepared this banquet, she has also sent out her servants to issue an invitation. As we will see, the invitation carries her own words. But first, we'll, what we, what we, uh, we see that it's important to notice where this banquet is taking place, where the invitation is being given. Wisdom calls out, as the text tells us in verse 3, from the highest places in the town. This is not just any location. In the ancient world, the highest places in the town would be the location where they would build a temple. Thus, wisdom, ultimately Jesus, is not merely calling us to some random house, but is calling us to worship him in a temple. The invitation, then, is a worship decision. The invitation is also clear. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. The simple person in the book of Proverbs is the uncommitted person. They have not yet decided if they want to pursue wisdom or foolishness. In the second part of verse 4, they are described as him who lacks sense. Literally, this means him who lacks a heart. As we saw earlier in the book, every one of us are foolish. Our foolishness is ultimately because we have a heart problem, a worship problem. What Jesus offers here is a new heart for those who will turn and worship him. This is the same offer of salvation that God gives in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, where God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In order to be able to be wise, we must be given a new heart. There's no way that we can be wise in our own strength. True wisdom comes from a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is not offering just food and drink in this passage. No, he is offering himself as the food and drink. So how do we have access to this life-giving food? The text will tell us through repentance. It says here, leave your simple ways in verse 6. Turn from your simple ways. Jonathan Aiken explains it this way. He says, in essence, what wisdom is saying is, repent of your foolishness, come to my party, marry me, and I will make you wise and give you an abundant and eternal life. You will live wisely if you know me. So we must recognize that we are fools. We need to believe in Jesus. We need to eat his food and he will produce wisdom in you that uh, in you now and give you eternal life. So not only must we accept the invitation that is given by wisdom, but secondly, we see in this passage 
that how we act reveals which invitation we have accepted. These verses in verses 7 through 12, scholars have a difficult time understanding how this fits in uh, because, uh, the, because the, the dual call in the, in the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter seems like that should go together and this must have been stuck in the middle. But rather what's going on here, the text is actually showing us that our actions reveal which invitation you have accepted by contrasting the response of the wise and the scoffer. The scoffer here is the person who has completely rejected wisdom. Not only has he rejected, but he also mocks wisdom by his actions, not just by his words. These verses show what wisdom and folly teach and produce in their followers progressively. The party you choose to attend will determine how you act in daily life. Whether you act wickedly or wisely reveals which party you chose. Belief always determines behavior, but behavior reveals what you believe. This is ultimately a worship issue. This section begins with a wise teaching. It, says, it tells us essentially not to correct a scoffer. Let's look at verses 7 through 12 here. It says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and your years and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So the section is telling us, do not correct a scoffer. The scoffer in the end will only hurt you in the process and will only hate you. Correcting him is a waste of time because he will never listen to you. All you will receive in return are verbal attacks and humiliation. There are some who just will never humbly listen to wise counsel or submit to authority. On the other hand, you should correct a wise man. He will love you for it and he will become wiser. A wise man is humble enough to know that he needs correction. So wisdom, according to these verses, is the discernment to know whom to correct and whom not to correct. The wise person will be able to discern the outcome of the correction. Since wisdom is a relationship with Jesus, this actually tells us that growing in Christ's likeness is not just a reduction in sinfulness, which it is, but being in a relationship with Jesus is also a growth in discernment. Being like Jesus means the ability to see the situation that you are in, being able to recognize when to correct people and when not to correct them, because it will only make things worse. It also means knowing when not to play the coward and to speak up and say something in the right situation. However, these verses also reveal that if you are the type of person who cannot accept correction, then you are a mocker or a scoffer. If you get angry when someone confronts you, you are a scoffer. On the other hand, if you can humbly accept correction, because you know you have not arrived, then you are wise. 
and you will love the person who has the courage to confront you. So I ask you, how do you respond to confrontation? Do you automatically get angry? Or do you listen and try to see the truth in it? Do you have any relationships in your life where someone has the freedom to ask you tough questions? Wisdom is the ability to hear and respond correctly to criticism so that you don't repeat the same mistakes. The point of Proverbs 9 is that if you cannot accept a rebuke, it's not just because of your personality type. Ultimately, it reveals idolatry in your life, perhaps worship of yourself. This is true in all kinds of areas that Proverbs touches on. If you are stingy, it reveals an idolatry of money. If you have a porn addiction, it reveals an, Id an idol of sex. If you cannot discipline your children, it, mean, it might reveal that you have made your kids an idol. You cannot be wise without a relationship with Jesus. There is no secular and sacred divide. There is no how things are at church and that's okay, but that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of my life. There's no secular and sacred divide in life in scripture. Covenantal faith in God will lead to things like balancing your checkbook, cleaning your room at your mom's request, enjoying being with your family more than making money. If you cannot do these things, it's not just a character flaw. It's a spiritual problem. This is the last time in the book of Proverbs that wisdom will speak directly to us. She urges us to pick wisdom, but ultimately it is your choice. If you pick her, verse 11 tells us that it will lead to life. She will produce wisdom in you and reward you with longer life but you are responsible to make your own decision and how you live reveals which invitation you have actually accepted. Not only must we accept the invitation of wisdom, and not only do we see that how we act reveals which invitation we've chosen to accept, but also we see that we must reject the invitation of folly. Look at verses 13 through 18. It says, The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now we've come to the invitation of the forbidden woman personified as woman folly. Earlier in Proverbs, we've seen that this forbidden woman has been described and now the forbidden woman has been described as woman folly. This woman is the primary contender for the son's attention. Here we see that she is a counterfeit who copies but perverts everything that wisdom does. Just like wisdom, her house is in the highest place of the city, a second place of worship. But this, uh, because this is a place of worship, we know that following folly is actually to follow and worship idols. Turning away from wisdom is characterized as unfaithfulness to God. 
Did you get that? Following foolishness is not merely to make just a kind of a stupid decision. This is to turn your back on the Lord. Pursuing foolishness is unfaithfulness to God. One is faithful, unfaithful to God when one is whoring after idols. And that's exactly what's happening here. Folly is described here as loud, seductive, ignorant, and lazy. This is the fruit that she will produce in her followers. Wisdom sent out her servants, but folly annoyingly screams from the doorstep, right? She's loud, she's annoying. Wisdom builds her house and prepares the meal, but folly lazily sits at the front door. Wisdom has prepared a wonderful banquet offering meat and wine, but folly offers stolen water and bread that is to be eaten in secret. Picking up on Proverbs 5.15, where water uh, refers to sex, this seems to be an invitation to an affair. She is not just offering food and drink. She is offering herself as food and drink. She is offering an illicit relationship that will lead to walking away from God. Solomon knows that sexual sin leads to abandoning God. We will see that she seduces her victims by giving them half-truths. Yes, the affair will bring temporary pleasure, sure, but she does not reveal that death awaits them. That's what foolishness is. Foolishness is not seeing the connection between your actions and their consequences. Like a cow walking into a slaughterhouse, you don't know that you're about to become someone's next steak. Her guests do not realize that accepting her invitation is accepting an invitation to their own funeral. They go into the grave. There may be a destruction now like public shame, loss of family, or loss of money, but all of that is simply a foretaste of what's to come, and that is hell. The New Testament reveals that wisdom the one who invites us to her party, the one that brings life instead of death, is none other than Jesus, the wisdom of God. So I ask you, have you accepted Jesus' invitation? Have you given your life to him? Jesus offers life. Rejecting Jesus promises death. Every one of us is foolish at one time or another. Some of you can never be wise until you have a relationship with wisdom, with Jesus. Jesus took on the punishment of our foolishness, this death that is described here. Jesus took on that punishment of our foolishness on himself. He took on the eternal son of God, took on flesh so that he might die the death that we deserve for our foolishness. And because of his death, we are offered forgiveness for our foolishness. He invites us here to accept that forgiveness. If you do, he will transform you into a wise person. The choice is yours. If you're an unbeliever, you need to recognize the foolishness in your life. Repent for the first time and come to Jesus for salvation. If you are a believer, you need to ask the Lord to reveal your foolishness to you, then confess it to him, 
repent of it, run to Jesus, and be made like him. As we enter now into a time of invitation, the choice is clear. There's only two options. There's not 150 options. There's not some options that may not be the best. There's only two options. Follow and worship Jesus and receive life or reject Jesus and follow wisdom and idols and Satan and receive death. Which path are you on? Whose invitation are you listening to? If you're a Christian, I urge you, now is the time for repentance. If you're not a believer, I urge you, there's an ultimate end that's being described here. Jesus is offering life. Will you receive it? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that that you offer forgiveness. Lord, I know my own foolishness. I am fully aware that my foolishness deserves death, eternal separation in hell from you forever. But God, if it wasn't for your grace and for your death on a cross, there would be no hope. But Lord, you don't leave us hopeless. You give us life. You took on humanity, suffered and died at the hands of a cruel cross, but you didn't stay dead either. You gloriously rose from the dead as we sung about earlier. And you offer us life. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray, Lord, there is someone here who does not know you as Savior, who does not have this life, who does not have a, relation, a relationship with wisdom, that is Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be the first time that they enter into a relationship with, with you today. Lord, if there's a believer here who is not walking faithfully, Lord, who is in action choosing the way of the scoffer, I pray, Lord, that you would bring repentance into their life. Pray that you would draw them to yourself. Pray us all in your name. Amen.